0: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app It turns your mobile phone into a working GPS. And the mapping system is created by hunters for hunters. So other than just coming out with having the the best maps available for your phone or even on your desktop computer... They've just added some more benefits to elite members. So if you're an elite member and you have all 50 states on your phone, you also get exclusive rates on a bunch of Onyx's favorite brands. So whether that's Exo Mountain Gear Packs or that's Gerber Knives, Lacrosse Boots, a whole bunch of different things, they give you discounts to all those. So essentially, if you need to buy some more gear, you're almost paying for your membership just in the discounts that you're getting to these other gear. So that's a new benefit that Onyx added. If you head over to onyxmaps.com and if you use the coupon code EMW, you'll save yourself 20% off of the app. The podcast is also brought to you by Tethered. Tethered has been designing the highest quality, lightweight, safest saddle hunting gear in the in the industry, and the saddle system that I'm using is the Phantom Saddle along with the Predator platform. And if you head over to Tether's website, they make it super simple for you to build out your own system. You can choose your saddle, the lineman's belt, tether, and platform if you want, and it helps guide you through it so it's not such a learning curve to, to get into it. So if you want to check out Tethered's products and learn more about saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven. Maven Optics is basically producing the highest quality optics at half of the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. So Maven has decided they want to make game-changing gear and use it in the places and pursuits that inspire us every day. They From... the. the owners and the people that work there are actually hunters and it shows through the the quality the adapt adaptability and just the relationships that are paramount to a successful hunt and they focus on the fundamentals clean simple designs with modern materials and technologies and they have the warranty to be able to back that up lifetime no fault warranty I'm using the B3 8x30 binos for whitetail hunting. Really great for shed hunting and scouting as we're getting into the spring, as well as being in the tree stand. They're so lightweight and small, they sit on your chest, and you barely even know they're there. If you want to get a free gift with any order over at mavenbuilt.com, use the coupon code eastmeetswest-gift. And last but not least, Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is, they were, it was built based off combat and military experience and tailored for whitetail hunters. So, what it is, is it takes machine learning to really deliver science based predictions on deer movement. All of us only have, well, most of us only have a limited time to be able to hunt. So, being able to accurately figure out when the best time to be in the field is, is where the outfitter can help you out. And what I'll say about that is the outfitter is not based off of someone's predictions or some specific person's knowledge from the past. It is based off of Bring in millions of data points for your specific area. And I've been using it as well as some of my good friends with some great results. And one of the reasons why decided to partner with the company Spartan, Spartan Forge. So check out the Outfitter and be able to save some money by using the coupon code East Meets West. So head over to SpartanForge.ai and check out what the Outfitter is all about. All right, so for your Mountain Buck Monday story brought to you on Tuesday, I have a story from Jordan Hollinsworth, and you can find the the photos of this deer, which are some incredible photos, by the way, over on the East Meets West Hunt Instagram and East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. So the story goes, I had been wanting to hunt and scout a particular area because of its steep, rugged, and thick nature. I thought that a mature deer may use this area to avoid other hunters. I hiked in and dropped off the side of the ridge for an evening sit. A doe appeared about 30 minutes before dark and skirted down the side of the ridge. About five minutes later, I heard a grunt coming from the direction the doe came from. I grunted and immediately heard this deer coming to me. The buck came to 30 yards and stopped broadside to survey where the grunt had come from. I made a well-placed shot on this nice mountain buck. And a nice mountain buck is a, is not really giving it its its full um, what it's worth because this buck is an absolute giant and Jordan always seems to come through with some really big deer and just shows his dedication to the mountains. So head over and check that out. And if you have your mountain buck Monday story that you want to share to have on the podcast and be featured on social media, send it over to me at. Bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com or just send me a direct message on social media and I'd love to hear the story and be able to share it with everybody else. So I got some exciting news. I just finished up the, the final voiceover script for the Mountain Buck film that that is now named The Long Haul and that will debut on February 14th which is a Sunday And that'll be out at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. There'll be some more information coming out on that here in the next couple of weeks. But uh, I am so pumped to to be able to have that come out. So that's coming soon. Like I said, it'll be on Sunday, February 14th. And this episode, we're getting back into talking about mountain bucks. And I, I drove over to... A friend of mine and an absolutely incredible whitetail hunter, Steve Shirk. And well, he's also not just a whitetail hunter. He's also a guide on public land for people that want to experience the big woods and in northern Pennsylvania. So Steve and I did a two-part series. This is the first of that. And this one is all about postseason scouting and really about finding mountain buck bedding and how to identify it, how to go through and figure it out, how to run trail cameras to understand how the deer are using it. A lot of really good information in this and that the second one which will come out in a few weeks here will be all about shed hunting. So we're getting into an exciting time of year to be getting ready for that. If you're trying to Learn more about you know scouting online using Onyx and just figuring out a game plan to scout your area this spring, head over to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Bo Martonic, and check out the mountain buck scouting series. So I have a bunch of videos there which I'm gonna add more to them this spring. So definitely pay attention to that and I hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Steve Shirk. All right, we're live from Shirk's Guide Service Camp here. Steve, it's good to see you again. Good to see you.
0: I'm glad to be back on the podcast.
1: Yeah, man. It's uh, a little bit different than the last time we recorded it. it was during the summer, and it was hot out, and uh, now it's, what, 12 <laughs> degrees outside? Yeah, 12 inches of snow, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't believe, um, we don't live that far apart, but driving here, as I got further north, how much more snow there was. Oh, I bet. That's... That- Yep, the roads were covered up this way. So <laughs> you you came in the same way, but it, they were covered a little bit compared to to where I was at. So it took me a little bit longer than I expected.
0: Yep. No, it's uh, it was a mild winter to start, and now it's good traditional northern Pennsylvania winter. So <laughs> yep. hopefully, it lets up on us a little.
1: I, I hope so too. Mostly for the well, for for my own sake, because uh, I I don't know. I I like. I don't mind winter, but. I I like it for a little while, then I'm ready to kind of get in this I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) I like it for deer season, then it can go away. Yep, yep, I agree. And and also for the deer's sake, too, as far as not putting, you know, I I was looking at my cell cam the other day, and I had some does that came across, and it was, you know, Mm -hmm. up above their knuckle on their legs. And I'm like, them poor deer.
0: Yep. No, we we desperately need a break. Uh, We've been fortunate. We've had a couple mild winters in a row We need that to happen again.
1: I, (laughs) I totally agree. I just, I don't know how they do it, but that's, (laughs) that's, yeah, they're, they're tough animals. That's for sure. But I, if, if they, I just want those big bucks, keep their body weight on. So once they start getting the nutrients in, they can,
0: we need those antlers to be even bigger next year and not go into their bodies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. So, Steve, it's uh, like as I we alluded to here that you were on the the podcast twice before, um, back in the summertime, and and I thought those episodes were awesome. And then from the feedback that I got, it was some right. of the the favorite episodes that I had, which seems to be a trend with you, and and speaks <laughs> to your knowledge a little bit. Well, so that's great. I, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just i I enjoy talking to to you specifically because we hunt similar areas we've nice. kind of had the same um i guess growing up and being in the deer woods together so it's it's just extremely easy to yep to have conversations with it so. yeah
0: i uh when i've done a few podcasts with other people or just hunters in general or my clients like it's you we're not like on the same level a lot of time even though we might share the same amount of desire and passion but we like you and me kind of come from the same world, so yeah. we. I mentioned something, and then you're not, you know, really confused at all. Like it just, it all is interpreted so much easier. <laughs> you have someone from this area, so yeah. No, I, I really enjoy talking to you. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, again, thanks for meeting up with me here on uh, on the, the weekend. You had a you had a free weekend. we were yeah. we've been trying to kind of link up a little bit, and you you texted me, and I was like, I'll be there. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm. I was looking forward to it. I haven't. I haven't done one in person in so long. Which, oh,
0: I think that makes it a lot better too.
1: Oh, a hundred. I. I can't stand looking at my computer screen anymore. Doing it, doing it that way. And then if someone doesn't have good service and on the like the internet connection, it's just like stressful. It, huh? it, it can be, <laughs> but. So, Steve, let's start off by giving a little bit of a background of yourself. And I know that you you did it on the last one, but mm-hmm. just give a give a little background for anybody new listening.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, mostly if you if you don't know me, um, I'm the owner of Shirk's Guide Service, which is located here in northern Pennsylvania. Um I've been doing it for about seven years now. Uh, we hunt all public land um I have a facebook account and uh you know instagram you can find us there or my website at shirksguideservice.com. dot com so um it's not just uh, You know, it may seem like it's just a business, but I, anymore, I'm kind of like a guy that just, you know, loves to interact with other deer hunters and share my knowledge and passion. And, you know, I've made so many good friends from doing it. So I encourage uh, anyone, if you've never uh, contacted me or looked at any of my pages, feel free to, because, uh. Uh, if you're a deer hunter, especially uh, a big woods Pennsylvania deer hunter, I'll gladly be your friend. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, your, your accounts there on social media are my favorite to follow just from the standpoint of it, you, you always put out good knowledge. And then also you get me pumped up from your trail camera pictures.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks a lot. I, uh, um, I think there's a lot of like good Pennsylvania deer hunters that... Uh, get a lot of great pictures and know a lot but I'm probably one of few that shares all that so yeah. that's why so many people are following me because it's like hey this guy he's he's showing everything so yeah, yeah follow him
1: <laughs> oh I go back and forth on that so sure so hard of what well, I I, <laughs> I I usually don't share any trail camera footage or anything and then and then I do sometimes. I don't know. It's it's a, always a mental struggle of like figuring <laughs> Here, out yeah. if I'm giving out too much or putting out too much stuff that's going to end up screwing me in the end yep. or uh, or yeah. not. So no, it it
0: uh, there's been times where it has backfired on me and i'll be honest i don't share everything like yeah sometimes i just know ah this one we can't show him on social media or better not say this because if i mention i'm doing this then it's going to bring a lot of people into a certain area but i try to share as much as i can because i mean like because i have the desire to guide and like help hunters you also it kind of goes with like still sharing my knowledge and yeah. that type of stuff in another way. So, uh, I, I hope it's helpful to everyone and I appreciate everyone that's followed me and, you know, cares about
1: what I do. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, uh, I, I was wondering, uh, if you, if you had any problems as far as people kind of screwing you up or following or trying to figure out where you're at oh, yeah. and everything.
0: It's not real bad, um, There's, there's a few times where, you know, things have happened. Uh, You know, most people are pretty respectful and, you know, a lot of guys also this day and age, there's a lot more like serious type hunters that, you know, they, they'd rather just do it themselves. And, uh, you know, they've been, been pretty good about, you know, if they see me in an area, they, you know, they'll back out. And I'm not saying like, I don't ever want to make it sound like I own all these woods, but you know, I'm everywhere. So, uh, <laughs> 90% of the time it's worked out. Okay. I think in any public land situation, you're always going to have a few bad, if you, you know, run into a few people that, you know, probably you kind of wish they would have never been there. Just put it to you that way. That's just hunting yeah. public land, but overall it's, it's, you know, it's went really well. And, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too worried that, you know, about being followed or, uh, you know, having any big issues with the way I do things.
1: Yeah, that's 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 good. I and is it, it was funny, I did uh I did a seminar the other night on um scouting big wood stuff and I had some questions at the end someone's like How many trail cameras do you run and how many get stolen? And I don't know about you, but I've actually I had one stolen this year. Oh, but really? Other than that, I hadn't had one stolen in like five years. Yeah, and that's I, pretty lucky but Yeah, we ran over a hundred this year not one stolen.
0: Yep. And I, and I, you know, I'd say, I know there's still some that I haven't checked in a month or two, but I'm still pretty confident. Uh, you know, the ones I left out through deer season and I, I've, some that I've checked, you know, right after like gun season, cause gun season for deer and bear, I feel are like the most dangerous time to leave one out there. Yep, But I've had, you know, so many pictures of other hunters and just kind of walking by that, you know, it, it just goes to show that most of your true hunters are, they're good ethical people. And, yeah. um, I know there's, there's probably people that are going to say, you know, not where I'm from and I feel bad for you, but really overall, uh, you know, of all the cameras that I run, I mean, I don't even think this year I had one SD card stolen. So usually uh. every year I might have five or 10 cards stolen. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was about this year, but, uh, it just, uh, I'm, I'm very blessed that we have some really good ethical hunters yeah. in
1: this area. Yeah, that's. It's funny. I had one. I had one camera where someone, they weren't even trying to hide who they were. Like they put their <laughs> face like right up in the camera. They, you could tell they opened it up, wow. checked the SD card, put it back in, didn't delete anything. Yep. Didn't even delete their own selves, and yep. then uh, moved along. And. I, I don't like that, but I was thankful they didn't take the card or the camera in that.
0: (laughs) I I think you brought up a good point, too. I do think a lot of my cameras, or maybe not a lot, but there were some that, like, it just didn't... Something didn't look right. I think some pictures got deleted, you know, because anymore, everyone's running cameras. A lot of people have a device to, you know, check cameras in the woods, so... I do think that's happening a lot. Like, I just know there should have been a big deer on that camera, and there's no big deer. And then you kind of you see a guy kind of walking to it, and then a guy walking away. He might have forgot to delete those ones. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that happens, and, you know, that kind of stinks. But overall, at least, you know, nothing got stolen, and uh, that's just part of it. Yeah.
1: So I, I, when you were talking about um... – uh you know getting running all these cameras and everything I, i'd like to talk about start with the sto- the the story of a certain deer that you were sharing on social media quite a bit you know i know you don't share everything but you shared a lot about a specific deer that you called sure. the crazy 12 yep yeah and uh well to spoil it the story ended this year but
0: yeah not the way not the way that i would have wanted it to end but uh crazy 12 was a deer that i followed you know for like 3 or 4 years It's kind of one of those deer as a young deer, sometimes you just can tell a deer that has a lot of potential. And, you know, I think I was starting to get pictures of him at like two, maybe three, but I think he was two. You I already had some kickers and just, you could just tell like, wow, this thing has got the potential to really blow up. And uh, so it took a couple years, like I would get pictures of him, but I really, I didn't really have like his core area pegged down. And, um, but after a couple years, like, you know, I started to figure out like where he was betting, um, and, uh, you know, really narrowed, narrowed things down. And I'm not going to say every deer is, is like that, but, uh, you know, there, I don't think there's ever been a deer that I put that much time in. Um, but, uh, so, you know, this year I felt like was going to be my best chance, you know, that I ever had on him. Um, and, uh, so, uh. Going into bow season, I also thought my best chance to kill him would probably be early season uh, because he'd only stay in his core area like roughly mid-October. Then he would shift and kind of focus more around, you know, doe bedding areas. And uh, so the first week of archery season this year, um, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better situation. We had a cold front. Um, The only times he would ever come out of the bedding area this time of year during the daylight were when we had like a cold front and so we had that front um and uh I I didn't want to go in there the opening morning of archery season because I felt like I'd have a less chance of spooking him if I went in in the afternoon tried to catch him coming out of bedding um so that kind of backfired on me because uh checking the cameras just a few days later uh he was all over around my stands in the mornings <laughs> oh. and uh I had three stands around this bedding area, and opening morning, he went by two of them. You know, right, 15, the one one camera's 15 yards from a stand, the other's 30. So those would have been good shot opportunities. So I didn't go in there in the morning, and then uh, he also went by the next morning again. uh, He went by the one stand at like quarter to eight in the morning, um, and then the front ended, and uh that week uh opening week it was all night activity just but when I say night like he would come out of the bedding cover like half hour after dark but still just it was the, the the bedding that he was in it was very very risky to try to even go in and hang a set like it just I'd still feel like I had my stands in the right places it's just That's just how big deer are, you know, they're, they're stubborn and they only move at certain times that time of year. At least, uh, you know, I, am sure he was moving inside of the bedding cover during the day, but you know, he wouldn't come out. But then what stunk this year is, uh, right after the first week, he shifted a little bit early and literally, like I knew it would happen, but I didn't think this early. I'm going to say about October 11th or October 12th zero pictures of him in his main bedding area uh and for the for the rest of his life because you know i'll get to the point where he got shot but uh he got sh- he got wounded in late october but from october 12th to when he got wounded he never entered that bedding area again he was completely done but there's never any does like near there so okay. i i really think that it was the you know, the testosterone building up and the knowing the rut was approaching that, um, he was ready to, to move on and be near the ladies that early. So, uh, he, uh, you know, I never, um, I never got the right opportunity to, to really hunt him good again. Um, there was quite a bit of hunting pressure into the area that he was, that he shifted into the rut. I think I might only hunted that area like once. I also knew that, um, the best, kind of some of the best locations in that area where he was going to spend the rut, uh, he, um, there was already a bunch of other hunters probably in the best spot. So really I didn't, I didn't hardly hunt him in the rut. He got wounded right before Halloween. Uh, the hunter never found him. Did you know that he got wounded? Yeah. Oh, I knew, I, the guy, the guy knew I was hunting the deer too. Yeah. Although at that, I hadn't hunted him in a couple weeks because I just didn't feel like I had could get stands in the right places because they were already taken up um but uh but the night he got wounded which i we didn't know that he got wounded he just said he got hit and he backed out we're gonna look in the morning he said um so i just said keep me posted and you know, best of luck but uh so they never found him and then uh just i don't know right uh if it was right after christmas i think yeah probably late december or early january uh trapper local trapper, bobcat trapper, um, found a you know, a bunch of bobcat tracks in an area and just these bobcats were just like really hanging in a particular spot and he he knew something was was keeping him there and so he followed the tracks and you know, this bobcat sign a little further and there was Crazy Twelve, you know, dead, which was a fair fair ways away from where the hunter did hit him. Um but uh, so the I knew the trapper pretty well, anyways, and uh, so he was least fortunate. I was fortunate he brought the rack to my house, and that's when the the pain in my heart started to hit a little harder. When I I knew he was big, but it's one of them deals like you have to see him to really know how big. (laughs) Yeah. And once I got my hands on him, I was like, wow. You know, I thought maybe he was. I was guessing high one sixties. Well. He ended up gross scoring 179 and four eights. (laughs) So, so, uh, that, that kind of hurt pretty good. Not that, I mean, I never would feel like I, you know, I own the buck or he's mine, give him to me, but to know that, uh, you know, that type of deer was, was that close. Yeah. That close. You know, I just didn't have, I, I really feel like I had, uh, I did everything right for the. you know almost completely right it's just that's just how hunting goes so yeah i guess long story short uh i'm just glad that he got recovered because there was still some little bit of wondering and thoughts that okay maybe he is still alive because nobody really saw him did he just vanish and hold up somewhere but you know now we know he's dead and uh so uh did he
1: die do you think like soon after (laughs) the wound or do you think he lived for a while
0: my guess is, is i think he died at least within a week okay because uh his eyes were you know rotted out the hive was still connected but you know through fall and winter i, I can't i don't think uh i mean i don't know for sure but i don't think all the hide would be gone like it i think he died you know maybe early november yeah and then you know just just being cold and that it just it was a slow rotting process yeah but uh no like i said it was that's oh. just how hunting goes it was Tons and tons of time put in, but I'm guarantee I'm not the only one that's ever had this happen and it's gonna happen again. Um and uh I'm just not gonna really let it bother me. I'm just gonna move on and yep. uh find another one.
1: You know, and that's that it's crazy that um with trail cameras and stuff, there's there's sometimes that I overestimate what I think a deer would score. Yep. And then there's times when you're completely surprised like yep. that situation. Like that's yep. that deer's just 179 each deer that's incredible <laughs> to even yep. think that that's even possible yep. in in pennsylvania and it's yeah that just blows my mind <laughs> but i think you have the right attitude with being like well just got to move on yeah. to the next one and that's what we were talking before this about the, the buck that i shot and how my, my buddy johnny was hunting him for so long and sure he literally he, this is what he goes well he goes, that's one I don't need to worry about for next year. I don't have to stress about that one now. I can just move on. And I, I think that's a good attitude because you can't can't yep. dwell on it too much.
0: Yeah, I, uh, like, uh, and I'm not patting myself on the back like you, but um, I uh, I told a guy, one of my clients, you know, when Crazy 12 was still alive, this was the day before he got shot, I said, I'm going to put you in this area. Um, I just showed him a stand. I said, I don't think it's going to be exactly, you know, you're not really in the best spot, but he's around there. You could see him going in to show him the stand that morning. There's crazy 12, 50 yards in front of us standing on a logging road. And just to get to, like, that was the best look I got at him in person all year. And I was just like, holy cow. So, uh (laughs) But my point was, it was the guys like, man, I don't, I don't want to, I, I can't shoot that deer. Like I know how bad you want him, but like, it's just, you know, like how your buddy Johnny was just to like be a part of, of that. And, uh, you know, I had already shot my buck, so... I honestly would have been just as happy to see a client or just to be a part of somebody getting a deer like that, it would have been so worth it. So that's, that's the way I think most hunters would be anyway. Yeah.
1: I think, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think if you start taking too much ownership or think you have that and you're not, I mean, that, that takes, it takes away from it completely. Like before I I shot my buck, like my, my cousin shot a this giant eight point. I was literally just as excited. Well, I think I was just as excited as he was. Like I was, and I wasn't even there. I I was just there afterwards and seeing him and knowing all the work he put in. And like, I I, I don't know. I like seeing other people shoot him just as much. So it's definitely, that's pretty cool. Well, um, to kind of transition a little bit, your buck that, that you shot and you shot it during the week that you seem to always shoot them in. <laughs> and what was that third week, of October?
0: I shot mine. What was it? October 20, I think 27th. Okay. 27th or 28th. Something like, I usually, I I'm surprised I don't remember the exact date, but it was one of those. Dates. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so I remember seeing you post some stuff about it that there was a, a shift a little bit. that, yeah, that I seemed, seemed to Yeah, that you noticed seemed to be a little bit early. So can you explain a little bit about that shift that you saw?
0: Yep. You uh, It just seemed like this year, it, you know, based off of the areas I was hunting, things seemed to be a little bit early. Um, that's still a time when, uh, you know, I might be hunting more around scrapes, and I might not see as much of uh, bucks really spending a lot of time in doe feeding or doe bedding areas, but they'll still be... You know maybe more around their core areas and you know working scrapes but moving more in the daylight uh, there, you might even find them just in areas uh, with a lot of you know fresh sign but uh so you know i was hunting spots like that and uh it just it just things were not showing up and uh checking some other cameras and that like you know around more like traditional rut areas like holy cow uh there's, I'm already seeing a way more buck activity, you know, in these doe feeding and doe bedding areas, according to what the cameras were showing, um, even though it was a little early. So uh, I uh, I kind of changed game plans, and I picked, a, you know, how I picked a stand for three days, uh, or at least this was my afternoon stand. So uh, I had an area where uh, there was, like, you know, good five, six adult does. Uh, their bedding and feeding was really close together, so you could go in there every, every sit and you're probably going to see, you know, a bunch of does. Um, So I went in there the first evening, uh, first afternoon, and uh, I actually didn't see does that night, but I kicked some out going in, but um, I just saw a three point, but um, so, you know, I just, once again, I knew, I knew I'm just confident in my, you know, my strategy. Uh, So I went back in the next, you know, the next afternoon and uh, I have you know a bunch of does around me and then i saw you know the same three point i saw the other day and uh right from right after the three point left i did some you know some blind grunting which i'm really i really have a lot of luck doing that but right where the where i last saw the three point i see a i see a uh just a small tree shaking and i know it's a buck rubbing it but I didn't even grab my bow because I'm like, ah, oh, I should have waited. You know, that set got to be that three point. Now he's going to come up and, you know, I don't, e- I just want him to be gone because I don't like really having deer around me a lot yeah. when I'm in the stand, you know, and then you got to move less. So didn't even grab my bow and I see this deer coming closer and wasn't really even watching. And then it's like, uh-oh, it's not that three point. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so luckily I was able, uh, you know, to, to grab my bow, but. One of the really cool things about that that hunt was that buck, which was an older buck, uh, like what they do a lot after he'd run is he got downwind. So he goes downwind and uh, he spooks and probably ran like 60 or 70 yards. But the group of does were way over to my right and he ran to my left. So he runs and then he just stops. And he looks back and hes I just know he was like, nope. I'm just going to take the chance. Doesn't he come right back around, right under my stand, and I shot him right through the back. Really? Yeah, right below me. (laughs) But, like, uh, I've never had a buck, like, get my scent and spook and then just say, nah, I'm still, I'm just going to do, you know, come by anyway. How how <laughs> lucky was, is that? He
1: was starting to, well, he's starting to get a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little horny. Yeah. And he was just like, well, uh, I'm just going to go for it. He it's did. True.
0: Yeah. I, 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 like I said, I would have never guessed that, that, you know, I could see maybe a one or two year old, you know, deer doing that, but this was, you know, like, I think he was probably a four year old, uh, just just extremely lucky but you know i i can say back in my young younger days i probably would have made that yeah, mistake yeah.
1: Too. oh yeah that's what i was thinking about i was like yeah i was, I've, I've yeah i've been there but <laughs> oh that's that and that deer is a, a beautiful deer but when you when you, i remember you talking about that shift that you were seeing early and yeah and so i had just started a few days off a of vacation from work mm-hmm. and i was hunting my traditional scrape spots and and one of the things that, well, I'd read your post a couple of days before that you were seeing that. Yeah. And I, when I went in for my days off, I, I spent, I think I hunted the morning, but I ended up going and checking, checking cameras and just trying to see what's going on in the area at this time. And, yeah. and my scrapes were dead when they weren't and I was like you know what's going on and so I, I got back up and I was in my tree and I'm like I gotta do something different right. and, and I thought about what you had had written there so I was like I know where some does bed on the edge of this cut so I got up and I just I was just still hunting along the edge I was working my way into where I was planning on setting up and I did a couple grunts and I hit the bleak can and this could have been completely um, just by accident or coincidental that all of a sudden I hear crashing and this doe comes, I mean, like full bore coming right at me, runs, I mean, almost runs into me. And there's a, a four point coming right behind her. And, but I could hear more deer. So right away I went to full draw as wow. I'm, and I'm on my knees. And the, the big buck I was hunting came out and he was kind of in some brush. And and I, I stopped him with just Matt. And he's at 15 yards broadside, but there's brush. I'm trying to get down. I'm trying to get get my sight on him and i didn't i didn't get a shot off in time and then he just he never saw me but he just mm-hmm. took off after the doe again oh. and i i literally i just wanted to cry like i sat down and i'm like you gotta be kidding me so i, I actually went up um to the direction they headed because he was going by where my or my spot i was playing on sitting i ran over there and there was a there was a stretch of about Forty yards wide of really thick stuff on the edge of, in this kind of old cut, and when I ran over there, I could see the deer running in circles again. I'm like, I might wow. have another chance. <laughs> well, that doe starts coming back out right towards me. Then, but I was in the wide open, and she saw me and took them around. Oh. I, I caught a glimpse of them again, and they went a different direction. And it was, but going back to that shift seemed yep, to happen. You saw it too. I saw it too in early, and then I went and sat in that exact spot where I. Saw them out where I was planning on going the next day, and I had three different bucks come in. One I almost shot, but I I didn't, and I'm I'm glad I didn't because the next day, or maybe it was a couple days later, a young kid shot it. Oh, cool! So it was. It he was probably I don't know. After looking at him when he came in, he was a, a two-year-old eight. That was nice buck, but uh he actually came into my decoy uh-huh. and was doing circles. But I had one of those two-dimensional ones that was a doe, so he kept getting to a point where he couldn't see it anymore, and like kind of like freaking out. And then spend, and then I was like, All right, "That's a young buck, you know." Uh,
0: well, it worked out too because look what you got in gun season. Yeah, so it it, did. <laughs> it really it, worked out.
1: It it did. I actually had another buck in november the first snow that we had that i passed on him and then he was a four-year-old but just a really shitty looking rack <laughs> but i i was but and i normally would still shoot him because i was like just having this chance he had he was sliding in the snow chasing these does i mean literally belly sliding because he was trying to stop when they change directions i called which i never had this happen where i was actually able to call him off a doe it was just literally a A shot in the dark they were going away and i just laid into a deep grunt and he came in and after i passed on him he started walking away i was like i shouldn't have did that (laughs) and i was like trying to call him back in like i wanted another chance and uh it didn't work out but luckily it didn't so yeah (laughs)
0: getting back to the shift a little bit like i think uh you can never always say, well, this week, every year, this is going to happen. I mean, things will always be a little bit different every year, weather and moon and hunting pressure. And so many things can, can influence, you know, when, uh, things can shift a little bit differently every year. So it's just one of those things where you have to always be on the lookout, not for, uh, I know when this is going to happen, but be watching. Okay. Okay what are these signs that includes that okay these shifts are going on so that you can approach, you know, that situation right. And I also had a lot of people say, Steve, you know, I didn't see that shift in my area or, you know, someone maybe from New York or Vermont or like it it happens a little bit differently everywhere, you know, these certain shifts. And um I think there's so much to the rut that uh you know it seems like we got the rut figured out but i don't even think we're anyone's ever close to knowing exactly all the little triggers and things that that make all this happen and really you just got to be out there every day as much as you can to 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 be paying attention to to what's going on
1: yeah yeah like you said you can't you can't you can go off of past You know, data and stuff to a point, but you also got to just be able to recognize it as it's as it's happening, and knowing when to when to stick to your guns as far as strategy, and then also, um, you know, when to move. But yep. So I I wanted to kind of transition this now into right now. You know, we're in we're in late winter here, kind of. You know what what are you kind of looking at now from the deer season standpoint as far as scouting goes? What Mm What are you looking at as far as in the late winter and what are you trying to to do as we kind of move into the spring here?
0: Right. A little more right now is I'm really just paying more attention to the cameras and scouting uh, to see what deer made it um, a little further on. Then I'll, you know, once we get more into spring and the snow melts, then I will, uh, you know, be, get, be doing a little more heavily scouting with a lot of snow on the ground uh, it's tough to get into certain areas. It's tough to see ground sign and that, but right now I'm really just focusing, try to see, you know, what deer made it. We, unfortunately, we did lose a lot of like, I haven't even posted some of these deer that died, but, uh, we did lose, I don't know, some really, really good deer here last year. This year, it seems like it's going to be the year for the up and comer deer. Um, we got, you know, I know there's still, still some really good mature deer that made it, but This year, I just think we lost some of our, a good bunch of our really old, mature Monarch deer, but they're, they're probably going downhill anyways. Yeah. So, uh, it's going to be a really like between crazy 12 dying and some of these other deer like this year, it's going to be a big, uh, learn, like a new chapter for me. Yeah. I feel like, um, some of the deer that I've spent a lot of time trying to learn, you know, that's over now I'm a little bit in the green this year, like picking out some deer and, you know, I really don't know a lot about some of these deer. So this year maybe <clears throat> it may be a little even harder for me to really narrow something down, but I actually, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to this more because it's just like, you know, it's fun hunting certain deer that, that you know really well, but then it's just, it takes some of the, not saying it's not challenging, but a different part of the challenge is gone. Yep. You know, like, going to some new areas and just it, it's going to be so much newness to this year that's kind of what i'm really excited about yeah so
1: no that that's that's, <clears throat> that's fun in its own as far oh, as yeah. like just yeah starting a new you know a new book or new chapter with certain deer as you try to learn so are you trying to from the sounds of it you're trying to find certain deer and then learn about that specific deer is that kind of what your scouting strategy is? oh exactly yeah okay.
0: like uh i've even got cameras in new areas and i may not um if whatever i find now may not really uh put me where that deer is going to be next october or november but it at least gets me in the ballpark so uh that's you know right now i'm just trying to see what's out there for next year and maybe pick up a shed here and there And then, you know, once we get a little more into spring, then I'm going to try to go into some of these new areas and maybe just, you know, hopefully I'll be able to see, uh, what some of these deer were doing last fall and, you know, pretty much start from there. But it, you know, I, I don't expect it to, you know, some people think you can just go into an area and figure it out in one year. And honestly, like even with crazy 12, like i i learned a lot about that deer over like a three or four year period and i think the first year or two it wasn't even enough then so yeah. it it's just some deer in these big wood situations um will take years to really get dialed in so but i'm like i said i'm looking forward to to doing that all over again
1: yeah that's yep. that it's 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 cool like so for me, I felt like the last couple of years, I was kind of shifting into some newer areas and trying to learn. So now I'm coming into year two and three in some of these spots and starting to hone in a little yeah, bit. you're back where I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And starting to, <laughs> so yeah, it's, but it's, it's fun and, and, and challenging each in their own. Way you know, so w- say you're going into a, a new area. Say you found this winter, you found a deer that you think's good up and comer. You want to focus on once the snow melts. Mm-hmm. What's your what What does it look like for you trying to scout this deer? What What's your kind of sure.
0: Probably, I mean, it's more just in a like a you know maybe in a square mile area. Really get to know <clears throat> like possible bedding cover, uh what food sources are available. Where do I think hunting pressure is going to be, you know, most active? Um, try to get to know all those little things. And, uh, you know, then, then it's just going to be plastering a bunch of cameras in there. And, you know, it, it's, it's more of, it might just be more of a soaker year in some of those areas and just see, see what showed up on the cameras. And then the following year uh, use that data. And now I'm honing in even more maybe maybe it won't take that long um maybe it'll seem like uh i'll get on something you know quickly and easier you know it's hard to say but it's really you know finding finding a big deer right now um and then you have to also consider this may just be a wintering area he may be spending his summer and fall or different times of the year a mile or two away uh you know it's And every deer is a little bit different too. You know, I'm, I've gotten pictures of deer this time of year and never was able to get on them ever again. I mean, that happens too, but the, the better you get to know that square mile or two square mile area, the better the chances you're going to find that deer, you know, really, you know, I've said it before, like, I still think only 10% of the woods is, is really good for mature deer. Um, I know they roam a lot. But during the daytime, he's only in certain spots, and he's not in a lot of areas outside of the rut. Yep. So you, you got to you gotta hope that you can stumble on, you know, you know the right bedding cover and the right sign. And, and that's why it's important to do as much of that scouting um, in the postseason. Because once you go out there in the fall looking for it and, you know, putting a ton of miles on the ground and scent and between that and spooking them, like, then it just it becomes too much of a, a cat and mouse game there rather than get it all figured out now. And then hopefully what you find now, you know, we'll will get you on them.
1: Yeah. Um, so when, when you're looking for like those, those the, that 10% area, yep. is that, are you looking at it like say from a map, at, at like at the beginning and trying to identify those areas or is that all just you going on boots in the ground and just trying to to pick out those type of spots or is there like anything that like helps you focus on a certain area or are you saying kind of, uh, kind of looking at, you know, basically taking a map one to two square miles and just trying to cover all that and yep. find all those places.
0: I think I'll glance at a map, you know, maybe quickly once, but very little of using a map will, you know i won't be after every time i scout or before every time i scout i won't be okay i'm looking at the map and i'm going to check this out like literally i want to go into that 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 chunk of area and i want to know every inch of it i i don't just want to pick out key features on a map because you even though you know you know the images and that that you're seeing show a lot but you never really s- you don't really know for sure what, it doesn't show everything. It, yeah. it gets you to some good starting points, but if you put boots on the ground, you're going to find way more about the area than than any other way. So I might, you know, I'm fortunate that, you know, I, I get to have the ability to spend a lot of time in the woods this time of year. So I might hit an area for seven days in a row until I really feel like I know everything about it. And then, uh, you know, then I might not even go in there again till you know, maybe next summer and throw a bunch of cameras out. And then I, I won't spend as much time in there once we get into hunting season, just because I, I don't want to, you know, be overpressuring it. If I, if I really know or, or I'm confident, I know where a, a mature deer is bedding though, I may spend a lot more time just outside of the bedding area, but if I don't know, then then you don't want to go in there a lot because you're you're going to be disturbing you know what intel what what the true intel is because if you're bumping him from betting and you don't even know it then you're never going to get his betting pattern figured out so it's just better to stay out you know once we get more into the season than to just be looking for all that
1: then yeah when you're when okay so and i I agree with that, like I love being able to get in there and spend time and, and so say somebody doesn't have as much time as you that just you spend you go to a ton of different areas yeah you can if you have a weekend to be able to say you're from say you're from Pittsburgh and you're traveling somewhere two hours away to hunt the big woods or wherever scout it you can you can cover an an area like that in two days, oh yeah you know pretty pretty good, and sure. you can depending on what what you want out of it, you can get in there when when you're So to determine, like, all right, here's a – if you're going in in the springtime, say you have no camera information in there and you're just going on from your scouting, how are you kind of identifying this might be a big buck bedding area or a mature buck bedding area? Sure. Um, Like, what kind of sign are you looking at?
0: I always talk about, uh, like, if if I walk, like, you know, the perimeter of a thicket, and I'm not seeing a few really big rubs on the outside of it, I rarely will even go inside of the thicket. I'll usually, you know, find a good patch of cover and circle the whole perimeter. And if I find some big buck sign on the outside edge, almost always there'll be some big buck bedding inside of it. Like there's, uh, and I mean, I know some people have heard me say it, but um, those those big rubs on the outside, I always say, are like posted signs. <laughs> like he's saying like, hey, this is my spot. Yeah, You know, they deer or bucks don't just rub uh, you know for uh, you know just burning up testosterone or showing off to the ladies like they make signs so that other deer see their sign and uh, that's what a lot of those you know big rubs are in the you know those types of spots so if I see sign like that you know I'll get excited and go in and maybe try to you know find you know where they're bedding in there and you know really get to know you know, that type of that type of area better. But, you know, like I said, um it's still I I don't wanna make it sound like you just go into an area once or twice and figure it out. I'm yeah, telling yeah, you like to really nail down a big or a mature deer in the big woods. I honestly think most of the time it takes years or, you know, you might be able to get lucky, but if you really, if you want to be able to say, I can get pictures of that deer almost every day of his life, that's where, uh, you gotta, you gotta commit yourself majorly to that, to that area. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, honestly, I'm not bragging, but that's what I did with crazy 12. And I, I truly, like I said, I had that deer <laughs> I, I I knew him as as good as I really think I could have known him, but yet I still didn't get him. Yeah, you know, it's, it's still not that easy. No, anyways.
1: no, no, definitely not. Yep. Uh, all right. So say you you have where you think a, a mature buck might be bedding, and and based on this thicket or whatever. So now, w- what's the next steps of of scouting the area? Say if you're looking for a location you want to hunt a stand. Say yep. I'm, I know you then would run cameras as far as trying to figure out. Yeah. Trails or I guess I'm kinda of getting ahead of myself here what what are the next steps after you yeah you're, well identify? you kind
0: of, yeah, you did hit it like i i will start i just playing. know
1: i I know you enough from talking to you that I almost start yeah. answering the <laughs> questions, but i apologize No, for that's that. okay um
0: sometimes it makes it easier for me if you you like started out for me <laughs> but uh um, so I know uh yes, yeah. so basically I'll just you know I'm a huge camera camera nut so those cameras uh i'll plaster them all around the edge of that bedding area um you know if i see a rub line if i see a trail uh any little bit of sign of entering and exiting that bedding area if i really feel like this is for sure uh you know probably his bedding area then you know i might throw 20 cameras all around the perimeter of it just because uh I've learned, you know, I can't say I've learned through a ton of different deer, but especially Crazy 12, like, it was amazing to see the s- smaller the smaller sections of that bedding area that he preferred. Like, he didn't, you would think that, uh, you know, one day he'd just go out the east side, the south side, or this bench. Like, there are certain times of the year where out of those 20 cameras you might only be getting them on three or four and it was all in one small area. Now I also had cameras outside of the bedding area where I would get them, you know, at night and that, and then it was very sporadic at night where you might get pictures of them. But in the inside of that bedding area, certain times of the year, um, it was just, it was mind boggling how narrowed down it was. Like, um, And there were, there was a couple of spots where I didn't even see much of a trail but i would i would just see a couple big tracks you know going in and out and it's maybe like a very faint trail i'd throw a camera on it and holy cow you know he's coming he's using that one you know a lot so it's i just you know i really think that running you know a ton of cameras around you know around that you know for sure bedding area is is really the only way you're ever going to figure it out um but the other problem you you got to watch is you know how often are you going to go in there and check those cameras? I would go in, you know, about once a week and I swear, it, it, I don't really think it bothered him that much. And I was in there so much out, you know, on the fringes of that bedding area that I also think he kind of got used to me. It sounds crazy, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, and you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if I wouldn't have, of, uh, checked the cameras as often, maybe he would have come out more in the daylight, but, I know almost any time there was a big change in weather he'd come out, so if you know a cold, especially a cold front if there it was it was like clockwork he's gonna he's gonna be moving outside of there in, in the daytime so that's kind of what I focused on is uh you know when i whenever I can get a get a front that's when i I would try to hunt him
1: huh Yep. that yeah that's that's interesting i i um as as i was, I was sitting here just thinking about it and like it's funny that, like you said, like the deer probably got used to, but he, yeah, he probably did. He probably did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those deer yeah. know more than we. Yeah. we think, oh, they're shirk again. <laughs> that asshole's still trying to kill me. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> yep. Um. But yeah, that's what, like I said, and you know, in a, in a big area, you know, you might have a whole bunch of different covers, and you know, a lot of them, a lot of them look like good cover, and that's why, like I said, it it will. Don't just plan on it, you know, you're going to figure it out quickly. Yeah. But I think it's important um, to, for hunters, like, I see a lot of guys, they put cameras in so many different areas, you know, and especially like in the summertime, you know, you can put some minerals out or something and uh, you'll get a bunch of bucks in a certain area and they might, say a guy might have 30 different areas with 30, you know, 30 cameras. But then all of a sudden that, that uh, early Uh, early fall summer shift happens and then they're like "Uh uh-oh you know now they're gone where do I go well that's why I would suggest have just a few areas and uh, yeah you may not locate as many bucks throughout the summer but really get to know the few areas that you hunt extremely well because in hunting season is the time when you want to be getting pictures of those deer I know yeah it's nice in the summer but uh if you have 50 bucks you know, shooter bucks from your summer cameras, it doesn't mean you're gonna have beyond all fifty, you know, that coming fall. So if you only have four or five good shooters, but you really know that general area going into the fall, you're gonna have way better odds knowing them that smaller amount of bucks rather than the fifty bucks you had on camera that uh, you know nothing really about those areas. Yeah. So
1: it that that was a hard lesson that it took me a while to learn that that it was probably two years ago I changed that shift Well, mostly even last year. I, I narrowed down my spots a lot to just a few that I really focused on and really hunted one for the most part, because I, I realized I was, I was doing that. I was spreading myself so thin. And even though I was running a lot of cameras, I had them in so many different areas. I was never learning those areas as well as I could. And like, just in this past year where I was where this, this one area, I ran 15 cameras in a pretty small area. I felt like I learned so much yep. in, in one year, I still have a, a lot to learn about it, but like I learned so much more than if I were to run two cameras in there or, you know, and, and just so in the spring, I have plans on, you know, the, the gaps that I, areas I don't feel like I knew enough or didn't scout last spring enough. I'm going to, kind of extend and say my cameras i was getting him this buck on this one hillside and two out of my six spots that were on this hillside okay well he's heading out this way probably bedding there i need to explore more here and you can kind of keep i I i think that's some some really really good advice
0: yeah you know like i said uh i would i would say have less areas and you know use i'm I'm just a big believer in cameras, like a lot more cameras, you know, in a certain area rather than spreading everything out. Because especially, you know, in big woods where the deer can be spread out so much and, you know, they're not congested maybe as much as like, a uh, you know, a farmland or a you know, smaller, smaller, you know, woodlot type scenario. Uh, plastering a lot of cameras in one area is, is really the only way to get the right intel on it.
1: Yep. So, well. I think that's, yeah, I think that's some really good information. Do you have anything else that, um, before we transition into part two, um, do you have anything else you want to add on just like the the straight spring scouting portion there? I know there's sure. a million things we could get into, but as far as yeah, what we've talked about so far.
0: Yeah, because I, I would like to add that, um, and I mentioned this a little bit on, I think one of my Facebook posts, I've, I feel like it can be misleading to like, You don't want to go into the spring and always think that what happened last year will happen next year. Just start hanging your stands and you see the sign here and this and that and be like, okay, I'm all set for next year. Like you always got to keep your options open because every year for sure can be a little bit different. Maybe next year you'll see a lot of the same similarities happen, but often not. So it's more, like I've said, Getting, really getting to know areas. Like this year, I was was the first year that I ever experienced hunting and drought conditions. And um I didn't notice it a lot early in the season. Like things were pretty normal, except when the rut shift happened, I noticed that the does were bedding really close to water. Like usually in the mountains, you have a lot of like little feeder streams and that. Well, those streams were all dried up and it seemed like the does were... You know, within five hundred yards of the main stream down in the bottoms of the valleys, because that was the only place where there was water, and uh, like certain little things like that can happen. Like you might you might go down in the bottoms this year and see you know way more rut sign than usual, and you would use that for next year, thinking, well, that's where all the sign that that obviously that's where the party was happening, and uh, that might not be the case next year. So you can't just uh, You can't just look at all the sign and base all that on the next season. It's more like, I want to know all the food sources in this area. I want to know all the covers. Um, And like I said before, I want to know where I think the hunting pressure is. Where are you seeing possibly some people's stands and trees? Like, just getting to know those areas extremely well. Keep your options open a little bit. And just kind of let this story unfold in, in front of you. And then pick your pick your hunts accordingly to what, what you're seeing and expecting, you know, going on. Just, just don't go into, don't use all that Intel from this spring and just, and only base that on next season. That's where you can really screw up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah I think that's I think that's really really good advice. Being able to yep. just yeah understand the areas, understand what happened to learn from it, but be able to to shift accordingly. I mean, you know, yep. food sources change. Like you said hunting pressure. I actually I mark anytime I see another tree stand, uh-huh. I mark it down. Yeah. Uh, on my map so on onyx Excel, i'll mark it and i put it a certain color so i'm looking at my maps i can kind of like i can pull it out and look and be like all right you can kind of see a trend if there's a yeah. bunch of tree stands in the area and i usually try to stay away from,
0: from and that's that. a good point too like if you mapped you know where you think uh a bunch of hunting pressure is and then you especially look at it on the map like it can really like help you eliminate an area yeah okay that's where there's a ton of pressure it's probably easy access or for some reason then uh that actually can make it easier because anytime you can eliminate ground in in the big woods it's it's so helpful yeah because there's just so much area that you don't know where to start but when you've eliminated something then it you know there's a lot less leg work you're gonna have to do right there
1: yep i yeah i i totally agree um all right. Well, let's uh let's shift into to part two here. I will end this one. Um, as, as Steve mentioned earlier, you can find him over on Facebook and Instagram at Shirk's Guide Service and then website shirksguideservice dot com. Yep. Right. And and Instagram Shirk Guide Service as well. Yep. So. Awesome. All right. We'll transition to the next one. Thanks, Steve.